0: This morning on the parable of the hidden treasure, Um, and I I love that we've been going through parables because um, it's it's one of Jesus's favorite ways of speaking and communicating. Because he took the familiar and the things that were known and and highlighted something that was holy and of uh, of the kingdom world with it. Um, And so, the the parable I'm I'm preaching on is the parable of the hidden treasure, Um, and I think. He's trying to do a couple of things in this parable. I think he is trying to um, help people understand what exactly the kingdom of heaven is, how valuable it is, how incredible it is, and how there's nothing on this earth like it, that it's worth everything. And I think he's also trying to expose the superficial versus the authentic followers of him people with this superficial or authentic desire to follow him. I feel like I relate to this a lot. I dabble in a lot of things in my life um, that people might think I'm an expert on, but if I was actually with experts, it would be revealed in like less than a second that I know nothing. Um, So snowboarding, for example, I can like go on the back bowls. I can go down. I'm like pretty good. I can keep up with the best of them, but you start talking to me about like what the board is made of or what it does. I'm like, I don't know. It just takes me down the mountain, I don't know. <laughs> you put me with like actual, like you put me with Brit Ashida, and it's like no comparison. Or like music, you guys see me up here a lot playing piano and I've been playing piano for like 20 plus years. I've been singing my whole life. You might think that I'm an expert, but I talk to my husband who's an opera singer and an expert in music theory and you will know very quickly that I don't know very much at all about music. And so this is one of those things that Jesus is trying to expose. He's saying, Do you actu- are you actually in? Or do you just kind of want to be in? Are you actually um, in this life following me, giving up everything to follow me? So I'm going to read it. It's in Matthew 13, um, 44. It's one verse. It's just like Aaron to give me one verse to preach on. Um, But it's so rich, and there's so much in it. And it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I'm going to read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's really simple, right? I think most of us hear this and like, oh yeah, like the kingdom of heaven is so awesome that this guy like, sold everything he had to get it. And yes, that is the point, um, but when, when Jesus is talking to this, these people, he speaks so simply and there's, there's, um, there's things about this parable that they may have known in that time that we didn't know, um, but he doesn't complicate it. He keeps it simple because the point is simple. We don't know much about this man. He might have been working in the field. He might have just been like, I don't know, digging around to see if he could find any hidden treasure. We don't actually know. And so I don't think it matters how this man happened up on this treasure. We just know that he found it. Um, And it's it's pretty likely that this treasure had been buried for a long time, um, that it went for decades with nobody knowing that it was there. Um, Because when he went to buy the property, if it had belonged to the owner, he would have dug it up. But this owner um, did not... Sorry, my iPad just gave me a text message. Um, (laughs) The owner did not know that it was there. And so he finds it And he's so ecstatic. Um, He he digs it up, and I don't know, it doesn't say what the treasure is. It could have been jewels and gold. But whatever it was, it was so much more extravagant and beyond anything he could have hoped for or imagined that he did something really irrational, seemingly. He went and he, he sold everything, everything, his property, his livestock, his own jewels and gold, so that he could have this treasure in this field. And actually, in this day, there was a, a kind of a finder's keeper's law. So if he had actually just dug it up and taken it, he, he would have been protected by the law. But it didn't matter to him because he wanted to be the undisputed owner of this treasure. And so he bought the entire field just to make sure that he could have it. He was so overjoyed at what he had found and so enamored with the riches that he uncovered and so delighted in this, this treasure that he gave up everything. Everything everything. And that's the point of this parable. There's an author, John MacArthur, who says that a man found something so valuable that he sold everything he owned in order to get it. He was so overjoyed, so overwhelmed by the value of this discovery that he was eager to surrender. He was eager to surrender everything he had in order to gain that treasure. Um, And Aaron's professor, Professor Blomberg, says quite simply... True disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to become a citizen. Over and over again in in these parables, especially this series of parables, Jesus is trying to replace an old concept of what the kingdom is with the true reality of the kingdom. The disciples and, and the other hearers of of, in Jesus' day, would hear the word kingdom and they would imagine um, conquering and invading, right? That's, that's their concept of kingdom at that time. It's actually a realm of territory that someone possesses and controls. And it's why the Jewish people expected the Messiah to come in riding on a white horse with a conquering army. That was their idea of kingdom. And Jesus was nothing like what they expected, Because the kingdom of heaven is nothing like what they expected. The way of living out this, this kingdom of God before Jesus showed up on the scene was following the rabbis and the Pharisees and doing exactly what they say. And it's, it's living by the letter of the law without ever screwing up. It's acquiring money and status so that you can have influence. But Jesus comes in and he says, what I'm giving you what I have, the actual kingdom, is so valuable that you would throw away all of those things just to have it. Typically in life, we grossly overestimate um, how things are going to go. Um, we have these high expectations like, this, this trip is going to be the best trip ever, or this new whatever you want to buy is going like, to change my life forever. And then we get really disappointed, right? We have like high expectations and they're never met. And we're always disappointed and sad. It's real, you can laugh. (laughs) But Jesus comes in and he says, you have grossly underestimated my kingdom. You have no idea what I have in store for you. No idea. So what is this treasure that we have found in Jesus? Because right? that's what this is talking about. It's this treasure we found in Jesus, not gold and jewels and things like that. But the kingdom of God is this treasure. And it's the rule and reign of Christ. The reality is the kingdom of heaven is invading the earth. It's, it's not actually taking over different territories, but it's heaven invading earth, coming down and becoming our actual reality. And it's something we get to participate in now. It's not this, like, you get to the end of your life and die and, oh, great, we're in the kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven is at hand right here and now, and we are citizens of the kingdom. And it's all possible because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's the one bringing about the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit indwelt in us that brings the reality of the kingdom, I think one of the the big markers of what kingdom is, is a word called shalom. And shalom simply means nothing missing and nothing broken. It's whole, complete. I don't have to try really hard to convince you that the world today is very broken and lots of things are missing and it's messy, Um, but just... Because I want to contrast what the kingdom actually is, I just want to read a couple news headlines just from this past week. Hurricane Dorian threatens Florida coast. At least 10 teens injured in a shooting at a high school football game. Forest fire drives out 400 in Utah. Pastor accused of trying to have sex with girls. One dead, nine wounded, in Paris knife attack. I could go on and on and on. I I hate listening to the news because it's this. It's the brokenness of the world. But you zoom in a little bit more, and these are conversations I've had with with my friends, with people that I work with in Young Life, in our community right here. A girl told me that her mom abuses her sister with special needs. My own sister-in-law found out earlier this year that she's no longer able to have kids. Another girl told me that her mom tells her to use makeup to cover up the marks on her face. Another friend's sister just got arrested for meth use again. This is probably like the 12th time. And her seven kids live with the grandparents. And a good friend of mine, his wife is struggling severely with mental health, and he has no idea how to support her. That's in our community right here, like our neighbor's. And then we have things in our own life, like, I, like in mine, struggles with anxiety and chronic pain um, and, and just things in my own family. We know the world is broken, like look at your own thought life and you're like, something is not right. Look at the way that your family has played out and the generational sin, and you're like, something is not right. And that's not kingdom. It was never meant to be like that. As the kingdom of heaven invades earth, it brings shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's like a flood that takes over every corner, washing away what used to reign, the kingdom of darkness, until nothing is left but God's kingdom. It's nothing missing, nothing broken. In Revelation 21, it gives us a picture of this shalom in this kingdom. He's making everything new. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. No more death, no more mourning, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Everything made new. Everything. Because God's kingdom is a place of redemption and restoration. It's a place where eyes are opened and the lame walk and the dead are raised. God is called, um, in Isaiah, the repairer of broken walls and the restorer of street dwellings. And I don't think that that means literal walls and homes. I think it means all the brokenness, seen and unseen, will one day be made new. One day be made whole and right and right and it will be a place of shalom. He takes the most shattered things and makes them even more glorious than they once were. That is our God, and that is the kingdom. And what's even better is that God's plan A for bringing the kingdom to earth, his plan A for making the world right is the Holy Spirit through you and me. Christ in us, the hope of glory the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us is the most preposterous thing that's ever happened in the, in the history of time, but it's what is the reality, and it's how you and I get to live our everyday lives. Hope means expectant longing, means, means we can expect that it will happen. So the hope of his glory invading the earth lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Everything about God's kingdom is upside down and backwards, from earthly kingdoms. And the, on earthly kingdoms, it's, it's the rich and powerful who rule everything. But it says in the Bible that, the, that God will use the weak of the world to shame the strong and the foolish of the world to shame the wise. I mean, you think about the characters that we see in Scripture. Moses, who's a man with a stutter and a stick, and he leads every, the whole Israelite nation out of slavery into the promised land. And you have Gideon, whose whose clan was the weakest of all clans, and God uses him to defeat an army that's like three or four times their size. You have the Samaritan woman who has been outcast and shamed because she slept around. And he uses her to bring an entire city to him. You have Zacchaeus, who has cheated everybody out of money, who everyone hates, who hides in a tree because he's so afraid And it's that man that turns around and gives away all of his riches, four times the amount he had stolen. That's the reality of God's kingdom. It's upside down and backwards, and it doesn't make any sense. But it's how he does it. So, what does this mean for us now? In this parable, this man sold everything he had. It will cost you everything to inherit the kingdom, it will cost you everything. There's no both and in this parable. Even though there was this like finder's keeper's law, it wasn't even a question. There's no talk of digging up the treasure and keeping everything he had. It's this or that. Do you want everything you've always known and loved? Or do you want immeasurable riches that you'll never find the end of? What will it be? It it reminds me a lot of the, the miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5 The fishermen had been fishing all night. They came up with nothing. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And after he teaches, he says to put down their nets on the other side of the boat, which is foolish. They'd been fishing all night. The side of the boat does not matter for catching fish. And he says, you know what? Go into deep water where you never catch fish anyway because shallows were better with nets. And just try again. And they do it. And they pull in such an immense haul of fish that the boat started to sink. And they had to call on their friends to help them hauling all this fish. If you're a professional fisherman, this is like your entire year's wages. It is like the best thing that's ever happened. Like you can take a year-long vacation after this happens. And Jesus says, leave your nets. Follow me. And Simon Peter did, did that. He left a year's worth of wages. He left his livelihood. Those nets aren't cheap. He left them. He left his boat. He left his whole life to follow him. And Jesus didn't tell him what was going to happen. He just said, follow me. He didn't say, you're going to see amazing miracles. He didn't say, I'm going to die and be raised from the dead and you're going to start the whole church in the world. He didn't say any of that. He just said, follow me. The most foolish thing he could have done. And he did it. And God gives us that same invitation It will cost us everything, but it's also worth everything. Do you believe that it's worth everything? I think this is where the rubber meets the road in this parable, because you get to this point and you you talk about shalom and restoration and redemption, and you're like, yes, I want that. And then we look down at our hands, and we realize that they're clenched really, really tight to the things in our lives things we hold dear, things that we actually wish we didn't have such a tight grip on. And the reality is that our thoughts and our actions reflect our beliefs. So how do we align our thoughts and actions with our beliefs? In my life, over and over again, I've come to this point where I've said, Lord, I'm yours, and I give it all to you, and I'll trade everything I have for the treasure I found in you, except my irrational, anxious, controlling thoughts. I think I want to hang on to those. Except for my plans for my life, I'm pretty sure I should be married by 25. That's a joke. (laughs) Except for how I want my body to look. Just a few pounds less, and I think I'll be great. Except for money, because I really like nice things, and so I'm just going to buy those nice things. And he says, gently and kindly, because it's always his kindness... That leads us to repentance. My Krista, you simply can't have both. Will you open your hands? It's like um, a raccoon. <laughs> um, I really like raccoons. Um, Brad and I actually saw a family of raccoons on our, one of our first dates, and I've loved them ever since. But um, a raccoon, if it sees a treasure, it will hold on to it. Um, at the cost of its own life. And so if, it, like, if you put a shiny thing in a trap, it will like, that, this is how you trap a raccoon. I've never tried, but maybe I should. Let's try this. <laughs> um, you have a, a trap that will just like trap its arm and it grabs the shiny thing. And it would be free if it let go of the shiny thing, but it loves the shiny thing so much that it holds on and it like could die, it would starve to death and you've trapped a raccoon. I think we're like raccoons. We see these shiny things and we're like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And if we just let go, we find freedom and life. And God just asks us to open up our hands. It will cost us everything. It's worth everything. And you will gain everything. It is joy in the kingdom. And freedom and life and haven't you experienced it? Haven't you tasted it even just a little bit? It is the most foolish thing we can do to let go and open our hands, to give everything up and follow Jesus. But you will gain everything. I'm sure when the man in this parable sold everything he had, he was questioned and mocked and ridiculed because people didn't know the treasure he had found. They're probably like, bro, what are you doing? Like, You just spent your lifetime building this empire and now you're giving it all up for what, A field? What in the world? He knew. He knew because he had seen and he had experienced that there were immeasurable riches awaiting him. Following Jesus is foolish. It's foolishness to the world. You will gain everything. Shalom, redemption, restoration, We will gain everything if we open our hands. We will gain everything if we get rid of all the things we think make life worth living. We will gain everything if we leave these lower loves behind and enter into his kingdom. I believe you become like what you give your life to. We become like what we worship. Um, And if we give our lives and if we worship anything but Christ and his kingdom, we've missed it. And we've traded in our lives for a counterfeit version of full life, of kingdom life. He's replacing, just like he was replacing the disciples' idea of of kingdom with the reality of kingdom, he's doing the same for us. Because we build our own kingdoms and empires um, that are just not it. And so he's replacing our idea of kingdom. The same way parables hit people then, they can hit us now. So what do you give your life to? Money, status, power, relationships, education? What, what is it that you're holding on to that God is inviting you to sell, to get rid of, to fully enter into His kingdom and possess this treasure that He's offering you? I've given my life over and over and over again to my ability to control. It's why I've struggled with anxiety. It's why I struggled with an eating disorder. It's why I struggled so deeply with singleness. I have wanted to be the God of my own life. And it never went well, but I still kept trying. But then I hear the whisper of the Lord. The invitation he offers. And he says, open your hands. Trade it in. It's, it's garbage compared to what I have for you. Leave everything, follow me, and enter my kingdom. And that's when the kingdom of heaven invades my heart and mind. And shalom takes over. And I know because of Christ in me, the hope of glory, that nothing is missing and nothing is broken in me. I have been redeemed and restored. He does it individually. He does it corporately. And that's what I believe he's inviting us into. Into this shalom life, into redemption, into restoration. If only we would leave behind the things we hold tightly to. It's a treasure worth trading everything for. Everything. And there are people outside these walls who have no idea. There are people inside these walls who have no idea because they haven't fully entered it. It's worth everything. It will cost you everything, but it is worth everything. This is the treasure that Christ died for that we might have that he joyfully went to the cross for because he knew it was worth it for us to enter his kingdom it's a treasure that will never run out that we'll never know the end of we live in a world with this scarcity mentality that there's always going to be an end to things so you better scoop it up as fast as you can but that's not the way of God's kingdom it will never run out there's always more and better he's always with us He offers all of us that invitation. Open your hands. Trade it in. Leave everything and follow me. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that your kingdom is real, that it's on the move. Thank you that you did sacrifice all with great joy so that we might know you. God, would you open our hands? Lord, I I want to trade it all in to know the riches of your kingdom. Would you give us courage to let go and enter into the unknown and give us courage to be foolish? Thanks that you meet us in those places and thanks that you fill our nets full and that you can do immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine. God, would we see the kingdom of heaven invading this earth? Um, That we would see what you see. And would you open our eyes, Lord? Thank you for this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name, amen.